Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are back with a fresh campaign and a really fantastic episode to kick off with. We are covering training today and we'll have an interview with nine-time Group 1 winning trainer Natalie Young. But first I need to introduce my co-host Grace Ramage. Hello Grace. Hello Fiona and hello to everybody listening in. It is so good to be back with another episode uh, for Ladies Who Punt. It's been, what, almost a month since our last show Um, and there's been lots happening since then which we'll get to shortly. But what an episode to come back with because as you've already mentioned um, we're going to be really exploring the topic of training of racehorses which is a massive part of our industry but there are again lots of little bits and pieces within that huge overwhelming uh, subject that are really quite confusing for the general public to grasp. So we've enlisted the help of our extra special guest in Natalie Young and she'll be helping us decode some of those uh, tricky topics but also just giving us a really good insight into what she does as a really successful horse trainer. Definitely, but before we get stuck into that interview, we uh, have to do a little bit of ladies who punt housekeeping. As Grace mentioned, it's been a month since we've been in your ears and she's been on a lovely holiday since Mm -hmm. then. Tell us all about it, Grace. Well, it was so good to be away. I went over to the UK, uh, predominantly in England and in in and around London um, for the most of the three weeks that we were away. Uh, We went to Royal Ascot, which was sort of the reason for the trip in the first place. Went racing four of the five days, which is incredible. Like it is such a hectic workload though, in terms of getting out there. It's not like the Flemington Melbourne Cup Carnival which is 10 minutes out of the CBD you know it's a it's past Windsor which is in traffic sometimes up to two hours to get out to the track from London so a lot of travel time but that's fine because I spent that time in the car trying to do the best form analysis (laughs) I could for the upcoming racing Um, watching Nature Strip was amazing he absolutely demolished the best sprinters in the world um, on the first day so that was fantastic and even Artorius on the final day like he ran a huge race Mm -hmm. for third so no it was just really good sunny weather in London which is sometimes surprising (laughs) but yeah great to get away Um, now back in the chilly Melbourne or Euroa winter but still very happy to be here and lots to look forward to. While you were away, I had my own announcement, yes. which we haven't shared. Drum with. roll, please. <laughs> so I will be heading off to the foaling paddock Yay. later this year. So having my second foal. Um, and I should be due around cup week. So fingers crossed, little one lets me do our uh, cup week preview before. I know. Uh, <laughs> They uh, come through. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. You might even have a Melbourne Cup baby. You Who just knows? don't Imagine. know. Very exciting news, though. We look forward to finding out 
all the things as they come <laughs> along and that'll be super exciting. Thanks, Grace. Uh, and we also have to touch on this week our Bletchley Stakes Race Day Meetup. So this is happening on the 23rd at Caulfield. It's basically a very relaxed day. We're just inviting you to come out, join us for a day of racing. It's just general admission. You can come for the whole day. You can come for part of the day. Uh, We have a couple of activities planned and friends and family are very welcome. And when it comes to what we'll actually be doing on the day, well, firstly, it's just a great chance to catch up with some of our listeners and, you know, um, to put faces to some names because a lot of of you out there often uh, sending us through messages and and engaging with our content. So it'll be just firstly great to meet everybody. But we really want to be able to make the use of going to a race meeting in terms of actually better understanding what's going on there. So we'll spend some time down at the tie-up stalls and actually watching horses be saddled. We'll be able to put all that we learned with Jane Ivel on the mounting yard to use and have a look at how horses are parading. We'll be able to chat to a strapper just to get a better understanding of exactly what their job is on the day with the horse. Um, and we'll also be putting our form analysis to good use and everything we've learned in that respect with a few competitions on the day. So um, it'll be a lot of fun and we'd love for you to attend. So if you've got that Saturday free, make sure that you wear some thermals and a jacket and some boots. But uh, it'll be a great day for Bletchingly Stakes Day and we really hope to meet you all. Yep, we'll put a link to the tickets online in our show notes. So they're $10 online at the moment or they're $20 at the gate on the day. If you are keen to join us, make sure you RSVP by direct messaging us on one of our social media platforms, just so we have a roundabout number of who's coming. But thank you so much to everyone who's already RSVP'd. One more announcement this week, Grace, is that our merchandise is here. Woohoo! (laughs) <laughs> yep, so excited. So we have ladies who punt caps in pink and in blue. Which do you prefer, do you think? Well, I think I'm going to go with the pink. What about I'm, you? I think I'm going to go with the blue. Oh, well, there we go. Perfect. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so they will be available for purchase soon. But this week, uh, we will be running a competition to give a few caps away. And all you have to do is share a screenshot of you listening to an episode of Ladies Who Punt to your Instagram stories with the Ladies Who Punt page tagged. And uh, we'll announce a few lucky winners next week. So just before we get to the interview with Natalie, I think it's important we cover some of the uh, common terminology used in training, Grace. So we are going to do a glossary with Grace today. But as it's our first episode after a spell, I'm not going to put the clock on you today. Thank goodness for that, because I'm just (laughs) not sure I could quite cope um, being time trying to explain some of these topics, um, because, you know, as Natalie is going to really go into great depths about some of the things that she does as a racehorse trainer you know again there's still going to be those little words that you hear every now and then um, that aren't explained so that's why we will go through the glossary now all right let's start off with Slow work. So slow work is basically any work that a horse might do at a trot or a canter. And it's used predominantly in the early part of a horse's training um, just to really start them off. You know, it'd be the same as us going out for a really easy jog as opposed to a 200 meter sprint like it's going to be a lot less um, of an exertion of effort I suppose and it's also quite common you can have horses do slow work on their really easy days once they're up and racing so they might still just go out for a really light trot or a canter and that's described as slow work. 
Next one is fast work. Which is the opposite of slow work and it's anything that's at a gallop but you can still have different rates of speed in terms of how fast the horse is going at a gallop. So you can be going at 14 seconds to the furlong or you can be really asked to run home and come up in let's say 12 and a half seconds per furlong. So the speeds still vary but it's still considered to be fast work and definitely um, when a horse is in his training we'll be getting to fast work sort of midway to the latter part of his training before he heads off to the races. And then you mentioned in there furlong grace what's a furlong? Oh yes see I just did it myself. Furlong is a really common distance measurement in horse racing and it is 200 metres. So a six furlong race is over 1,200 metres. Next one is breaking. So the breaking in process happens to every young horse. You buy them at the yearling sales or you breed a young horse and they need to be um, sent out to the breakers or, or go through a breaking in process to be able to learn how to be ridden and to be ridden safely. So this is something that every young horse has done and they might also be further educated in other ways like um, you know learning how to just be in stable life or, or utilise other facilities as well. It's a real education process for all young horses. Pre-training. Pre-training happens for horses at any age and what it means is before a horse is ready to sort of step up to fast work as we just touched upon they need to have a certain level of base fitness. It'd be like us going out and after being on the couch for three months and going straight into doing you know lots of sets of sprints um, we need to have been able to get a base level of fitness to be able to efficiently and effectively do that without being injured. So pre-training is what a horse might do for a varied length of time. It might be a month, it might be two months, and it's a whole lot of slow work, a lot of trotting, a lot of cantering, a lot of building up that base fitness so that they're ready to go to the next level in terms of their exercise. The next one is jump outs and trials. So jump outs and trials happen again for all horses at any age and it generally occurs before he heads off to the races. And what it is, jump outs and trials are race simulations. Basically, you load into the barriers with, um, you know, a couple of other horses as well and you go around for 800 metres or 1,200 metres or whatever the heat distance is and it's just that opportunity to really stretch out again and then naturally more competitive there than they are at home as well. So you're just getting that extra added fitness benefit um, in terms of them then taking the next step to the races. Freshen up. So a freshen up is used if you've got a horse that you want to have a light break from training and from the the daily routine, but you don't want to turn them out to the paddock for a proper spell. Um, Then you would have a horse that, you know, might just continue on their stable life, but not doing as much exercise or just doing some light swimming or something, even having a week in the paddock, um, but then bringing them back in. That would be a freshen up. Action. So every horse has a different action. And when we say action, we mean how a horse moves and carries themselves. So um, obviously there are some horses that just have perfect actions and move really well, as opposed to other horses um, that might noticeably be a little bit more shuffly or, um, you know, don't move as well as those horses. But whatever is normal for the horse is something that a trainer gets to know and that a trainer can then easily identify when something might change. That leads us into 
a trot up. So a trot up is a tool that a trainer might use to be able to um, assess whether a horse's action has changed, whether they um, a rider might jump off and say this horse felt a little bit off on one of his legs, have a look at him in a trot up and you get that guide to see whether there is a degree of lameness. The horse might be feeling something. Obviously, um, vets are very often going to stables and trotting up horses and you'll often hear trot ups, that term, especially when it comes to races like the Caulfield Cup and the Melbourne Cup when the vets go around and do trot ups with every single horse that is entered to race to determine and ensure that they are perfectly sound and ready to take their place. And the last one I've got for you, Grace, is trained off. Trained off is a term that you would hear when referring to a horse that um, has just come to the end of his racing preparation. And the way that a trainer knows that is because you can tell that they have just not their usual selves. They've changed in their personality. They might generally be a really happy horse and you know, now they don't even want to be approached in their box. They might have stopped eating as well as they did beforehand and they might be a little bit grumpy out on the track and just not really wanting to take their place in their stable life where they used to love it. So it's just one of those things that trainers are looking for every day in every horse, whether they may have trained off. And if they have trained off, um, it'd generally be the trainer's decision to either freshen that horse or send him out to the paddock for a spell. Well, I think that's covered a lot of the basics. Well done. Well, it We covered it in depth as well, Fee. So thank you for not putting a time limit on it. (laughs) Okay, so now that we have all of those under our belt, let's go into our interview with Natalie. Grace, why don't you give us a little introduction to Natalie? So in introducing our very special guest, Natalie Young, well, Nat trains in partnership with her partner, Trent Busserton. Um, They've come over from New Zealand. They're based at Cranbourne. Very successful, plenty of Group 1 winners, nine in fact. We have had Tagaloa recently win the Blue Diamond. Sierra Sue comes to mind um, as a really high-class mare in, in recent seasons. So they've had lots of success in recent times. And that is just the perfect person to be our special guest for this episode um, because she really is at the forefront and a part of everything that happens within her stable. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're a very busy woman, so I'll get stuck straight into the first question. How did you become involved in the thoroughbred industry and ultimately to become a trainer? Um, oh, actually, you know, we've always had, always been loved horses, our family. You know, my my mum trained a few at home and always used to do a lot of breaking in and throwing us on as, as young kids. Um, and uh, my dad was a farrier, so we've always had you know, that racing's always sort of been in our blood and for myself always probably been on a pony since I was five years old. And, you know, it's it's an industry that can take you all over the world when you work with horses, um, especially race horses. And I ended up at the age of eighteen jumping on a plane and heading to Singapore, not knowing anyone, um, but just knowing I was gonna earn a lot more money and do a lot less hours. So I jumped at the chance and I ended up uh uh, living over there for like nearly ten years. And um yeah, I worked for a local trainer there and uh road track work um, and uh, probably learnt how to punt a little bit now and then too, which was always fun. (laughs) And uh, um, yeah, just learnt to do form and travel with horses and, you know, it was really good learning curve really because you had to be 100% correct because uh, as we know over there the, the punting was really big at that stage back in sort of the 90s, seven, late, you know, early 2000s and uh, 
yeah, it was important to say, yeah, when you got the horse that it was going to win and they were going to have sort of, you know, a lot of money on it. So you kind of got to learn your craft well. And, you know, I travelled with a lot of horses through Malaysia and uh, just a really, really great um, place to, to learn your craft, especially when you're in humid conditions. Mm. You know, you've got to train a little bit different when you've got those sort of elements. Um, and then we, we, I moved back to New Zealand uh, after being there for 10 years and uh, Trent and I started training in partnership and uh, we had a team of 20 horses. And, um, yeah, it was amazing really. Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, you know. We didn't have a lot of staff there at the time. So we're really hands-on, probably like we are now. Uh, but we've, you know, we always wanted to have a team over here in New Zealand, in Australia, sorry, where we'd be competitive in, you know, the big spring carnivals, which, you know, you know, have horses in Melbourne Cups and things like that. So we slowly uh, progressed to having a, a team of 80 horses here in Australia. So, yeah, it's, it's been an uh, amazing journey so far. Well, you're the perfect special guest for our topic on trainers and what it is to be a trainer of a racehorse a racing stable, um, especially because Nat, um, you know, you've just mentioned that you know you've you've had family members who were trainers, farriers. You've you've worked as a track rider, um, you know, for all of your life until recently as well. You've still been riding all your fast work. Um, you know, you've had that hands-on experience as a foreman of a stable. So you've actually got such a great background in so many different facets of stable life. What was, you know, that ultimate driving cause in you saying, no, actually, I'm going to really try hard here and become a trainer and sort of um, take that next step to go out and, and, and do it on, on your own? Um, I think if you're a competitive person, you know, like myself, you like the need to win and, you, you know, it, it comes with a lot of hard work, but it's sort of a natural progression, you know. You don't want to be riding around in circles forever and, you know, we're both sort of hungry Kiwis, Trent and I, and, um, you know, we just wanted to sort of, you know, have a really good business, our own business in New Zealand with 20 horses and we just wanted to have the chance and the opportunity to make it. I didn't want to be like, you know, 60 or 70 and going, God, I wish I gave it a chance and, you know, moved my family to Australia and gave it a go. You know, I would, one of these people that would like to have a, give it a go and fail or not try and then, you know, not be there. So I think that's sort of just a part of our personalities basically. And when you've got such a great love for racehorses and the horse itself um, and, and, you know, just conditioning those horses to get them to those prime races, um, I just think it's, you know, it's just sort of the next thing to do. It's something in you that you can't pass up. I think it's something, you know, even when I was in Singapore riding around in my 20s, I've always had a dream of, oh, I'm hoping I'll be training one day. Even at the time, I might have been doing a few different other things, you know. So it's just um, it's just something where we finally got the opportunity to give it a go and and try our hand at training in Australia and rub against the best in the world. And um, that's what it's all about. You never stop learning in this game, especially with horses. So, it's just, uh, you know, really just about trying to better yourself and, um, you know, make more money and get that good business going and give that pleasure to the owners of actually winning those big races. And you've got, you've given them, you've been a big part of that. I think that's sort of what you, what I find that I really love is just seeing the enjoyment you see from the owners when you get that horse a win on track. It's as you know, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Thanks so much for explaining that to us. I just wanted to ask, um, what is a trainer's role in the big picture of a racing stable like what would a typical day for you look like as a trainer uh there's there's a changes each day some 
happens, you know. It depends on what day of the week it is, obviously, and where you've got to go and where the race meeting is. But generally the alarm clock goes off at 3.30. You want to push snooze another 10 times, but you just can't. So you've got to put your feet on the floor and the day starts and you you come in here and you, you meet the team that you've got around you. You generally got to have a really good team. Uh, we've got a couple of really great foremans uh, with Peter and, and uh, Trent Murphy. And, you know, you go through what didn't eat up. If something didn't eat up, you take its temperature and then you're basically doing the work list and you're putting what riders on what horses. And I like to sort of keep those riders that connect with that horse. So then each day that horse is happy. You know, it's getting that same rider that really cares for it, really loves it. And so it's going out each day and it's it's enjoying its work. I think that's a sometimes a big part if you've got a horse that's not finding its form sometimes just changing the track rider or just changing a few things around can really change its form so sort of lots of little things you know we do a lot of vet work as well afterwards uh, we go through every horse every day and check their legs after they work and make sure if they need any uptight or if there's any swelling or you know something's not right so um yeah, once you've done that, the morning normally sort of finishes around 10 o'clock and in between that you're uh, watching gallops, uh, you're liaising with your team and your riders of how the horse felt and you're going down and checking the horse and how they blew and, you know, if they're fit enough for that gallop or where the target is in a couple of days or four or five days' time or a couple of weeks' time. So there's so many little things. Your attention to details got to be pretty spot on you've got to really notice those little things um, I think it's important because then they don't turn into big things and you don't have big problems so I think your attention to detail has got to be um, very important and your feedback your feedback's really important if you know you can't see every horse but starts at that and then in between you're looking at the form and you're accepting with horses and you're nominating horses and uh, you're going through the program at the same time so you've you've really got to be um just really versatile you know and with Trent and I we share sort of both roles but then our heads come together quite often and we'll discuss you know whether it should run here or whether it's better waiting you know we've got a liaison on track conditions and what weights have got so there's it's not it's not just the easy task of sending a horse to the races and thinking yeah it's, it's going to be here when you think if you've nominated a couple of days later it might get an easier option two days later so there's a lot of form analysis as well um, when we're you know placing our horses and a big part of training is getting them fit for that assignment but it's also placing them where they're best fitted to get the best of their ability and that's um, that that, and, and that's just managing the horses I suppose then you've also got to fit in managing all the owners as well there'd be millions of calls throughout the day your phone would be buzzing all day I can imagine yeah, well, the, we, um, we're pretty good with our updates and I think that's important that, you know, they get out weekly updates and that's really Trent's expertise is very good at that. Um, you know, I do a lot, of, a lot more of the visual side of the updates. Um, but if they're getting a lot of information each week, then they're not, you know, ringing you every five minutes of the day. So as long as you're keeping up your clients, you know, it's really important and sure if they want to know something they ring or they text and you know you answer it in between or whatever if, or if you're doing something with the horses then you ring the back so that's just you know part of running a business and dealing with clients um but they are they are your owners that pay the bills and uh you know they're, they're, they're just as much as a high priority like the horses themselves without them you don't have a business without the horses you don't have one either so it's uh yeah it's, it's a funny old industry um but you know you've got to keep your clients happy and uh if they're not well they'll go elsewhere and so you've got to make sure that you're giving them the you know good updates yeah it sounds like being a trainer is, there's a lot of balls in the air and you have to wear a lot of different hats managing horses managing people managing owners 
a format analyst. Uh, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of roles rolled into one. A lot of hats, but I love hats. So <laughs> <laughs> you do love hats, Nat. That is such a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes you've got to be the plumber as well in here and this sort, but, you know that's just that's just being a woman you can multitask so that's yes, just right. something that uh, lucky for us we all do well yeah very good the next thing I wanted you to explain to us and to our listeners is what a horse's racing preparation involves from coming in from their first day in the stable from the paddock until they go back out to the paddock for a spell. What does that preparation look like on a big scale? Well, it probably varies on the type of the horse and what you've got targeted. But, you know, generally for us, um, you know, obviously, you know, we buy them at the yearling sales and that's a whole other side of it as well. It's your bloodstock side of it where you go around the yearling sales and you're looking at these horses and you're looking at their confirmation and their breeding and their, you know, their pedigree. And then they go to the breaker, which is generally who we use, Pete Dizel mostly. Um, he's very good here in Cranbourne, does an amazing job. And so it's only up the road. So you can go and see them in between that stage. And then they come up, once they've been broken, they go out and have a spell and they come back to us about a month later. And then we get that little bit of a feel for them. And then we sort of can see where they're going to sit, whether they're going to be more that spring horse, autumn horse, early runner, or take a bit of time. And that sort of determines where we put them in our in our stable or when we actually bring them back in and tip them out. So you're always sort of wandering around the spelling farms and having a look to and liaising with them to see what horses are doing well and what horse needs to come back in. Um, but basically when they're in the stable, for me personally, it's just all about getting to know them in that first couple of weeks and just getting that fitness into them. You know, they're, if they're two-year-olds, it's just all about education. And if they're three-year-olds that have, you know, had a few runs already well it's just about conditioning them getting their fitness back in so it depends on the type of horse you've got at the time uh, which one you're dealing with Um, but generally personally I sort of like to give them a good month of slow work sometimes a bit longer if they've been out a bit longer just so that when you do give time to do that little bit of fast work on them and put that little bit of pressure on they're actually fit and their legs can handle it it's when they're not fit that they overexert themselves that they pull up and they saw something can go wrong so, you know, every train is different. Um, but generally, when they first come in, it's the biggest part is when they're two-year-olds and coming from the breaker, it's all about that education and getting them into that routine and just finding out about them and what they like because they're all different. They all have different personalities. Horses are just like people. So you've just got to try and work them out and, and know what suits them. So let's say it's just a, a horse that's had a couple of other racing preparations in the past, so quite experienced and professional. Um, when they come to you, um, you know, how long generally would it be for them to get to the races? Is it sort of like a two-month thing, that month of base work, which you mentioned? Like what, what sort of time frame generally are you working on? Generally, we sort of work on like a six-week. So, you know, six weeks I've had, you know, a couple of gallops into their fifth week, a couple of gallops into their sixth week, and then they're ready to go and have a jump out. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have a jump out maybe over 800 metres. Or if they're more of a stayer, then we might wait another week and, and have their first jump out as 1,000 metres. Um, but that's just a general baseline which you sort of work on, but it really depends on the horse. It depends if something's gone wrong or if it depends if, you know, they're not quite handling the work and you've got to pull it back. It's generally reading them each day and just finding out if they're coping with the pressure and coping with their everyday routine. And if they're not, well, then you don't want to push them. So 
um, yeah, it, it varies on the individual horse. Um, but generally that's how it would be. And then once they've had a couple of trials, they don't always need two. Some might need one. If they're only going over 1,000 or 1,200 metres, sometimes you can get away with one trial. And then a couple of weeks later, you'll go to the races and, and set them up. So, um, yeah, it's just about getting them as the best you can fitness-wise, you know, as you can going getting into that first race. Um, and sometimes if they're the staying horse, well, you know, their target's 2,000 metres, but you give them a couple of runs beforehand so they can go into that 2,000 metres. So it's really, um, yeah, it, it's really dependent on, on the individual horse itself. Um, you can't, you're, you know, the everyday baseline that we sort of use or program doesn't work with all horses. It might work with some, but it might not work with others. So it, it really does vary. And Natalie, when you say you're looking for signs that they're not handling their routine what would those signs be what are you what says to you this horse isn't ready to step up or needs a bit more time when they're in work oh there's a few things you know they might their action might not be as good they may not go off their feet a little bit they may just get a little bit ratty and like a little hot meaning that just may might just start sort of freaking out a little bit and just sort of instead of walking off the track nicely or going on the track nicely they might start sort of jacking up and just showing you signs that they don't want to work Mm. and you know, generally if they're showing you that signs, it's because something's wrong, you know, or they're feeling something somewhere. So it's just a matter of going over with your team, you know, your vets and that and tr- doing trot-ups. Like every Tuesday we have trot-ups. The vet's probably going to be here another half an hour. We trot through half the stable and just go through the weekly runners and trot them up, make sure they're all sound and well and, you know, ready for their for their outing in a couple of days or a few days' time. So um, th- those are a few little things. And, and then sometimes it might just be that they've come from the breaker they just need a week with us they've had enough you know they've had that six week sort of period and they're just ready to go out in the paddock and have that little bit of a growth spurt and sometimes you'll walk around after work and they might be lying down flat out and sometimes that's a good indication that they're actually just having that little bit of a growth spurt and that's when you don't want to put pressure on them too much when they're going through that because you'll end up breaking something or just pushing them too much it's like having a child that's crawling and you're asking it to run you know you just you just can't do that won't happen so it's just those you know general sort of common sense things with animals that you've just got to they can't talk unfortunately I wish they could um but you've just got to try and read those signs that you're getting the best out of that animal and and you know giving it a good experience while it's in your care very good grace what did you want to ask we have a listener question as well, Nat, and it is when you have horses um, that are in their racing preparations, why is it that sometimes you'll have a, you'll see that a horse is on a relatively quick backup? You know, why is it that sometimes you decide this horse is ready to go back to the races maybe a week later and then on the other hand, you'll have horses that you feel the need to space the runs maybe three to four weeks. Um, can you explain to us why both of those scenarios might occur? Well, sometimes it depends on maybe if they're a little bit unlucky and they're running prior. You know, you might have find that they got a little bit held up for a run and, and they didn't get to out and, didn't, you know, went about a loom late. Like we've got um, Mr. Tipler in tomorrow that's on a week back up and, you know, he, he really run and really savaged the line um, last week and just couldn't quite get there in time, unfortunately. And he's going to be running again tomorrow because he's come home, he's eaten up. 
up. Um, he's bouncing out of his box. It's no problem. And then you might get ones that come home and they're just looking a bit sad and they're just walking out of their box and they're feeling their legs a little bit or they just might need a little bit of a freshen up in between. You know, depending how deep they are sometimes into their preparation, how, you know, they might be on first up run or they might be the second run or third. And when they've had a few runs sometimes, you might want to space it out just to get that little bit of freshness back into them. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably enough for us and our listeners to get our teeth into in terms of having a look at training. Just got one question to finish up with, which is which of your horses should we be looking out for in this new season that starts in August? Uh, I've got one that I really love at the moment. I hope I don't put the mocker on. But um, he's a deep impact colt and um, I used to, I, he's sort of like the first horse I go around the corner and see every morning and give him a little pat and rub between his eyes and I tell him that he's going to win me a group one and, you know, so it's just a, a mental stimulation that I give him and I used to do the same to tag a lot. And uh, he's called Mirror Masa. So I'm hoping that's the one that's going to come out in the spring. Um, he actually just got clipped today. So I went down and seen him before and uh, he's looking pretty pretty spruced up. It just means we clip them. It just means we take the long hair off them. So they dry a little bit quicker and they're not sitting in their box a bit damp and cold. So they, you just tend to, you know, at this time of year, it's about four degrees. So it's nice to have that hair off, hair off them. So I think that's the one that maybe some of the listeners out there can follow. Um, and another one I quite like is a horse called Bankstown. Yeah, a bit of a staying prospect later on. Excellent. We'll definitely keep a lookout for those couple of horses that you've mentioned. Just finally, Nat, um, you know, obviously all our listeners, if they don't really know too much about you, they'll, you know, be fascinated by some of the things that you've said so far. But what is also fantastic about you is not only are you an extremely accomplished horsewoman and a successful trainer, but you're also, you've got a, a family, you know, you're working every second of every day with your partner in Trent. So, you know, it's not just like the training hats that you wear, but it's also just the life hats that you wear. How do you manage it all? Like how, how has your experience been being, you know, a mother as well as being, you know, leading a massive training operation based at Cranbourne? Uh, I think having a family makes you, uh, you know, they're the, my kids are just like the best to come home to when you, the day hasn't quite gone like you've hoped it did, you know. So um, they live in the stable. They finish school and they, you know, get picked up and they come and live in the stable and they love the horses themselves. Um, I think it's just a bit of a juggle. But, you know, these days there's so many women out there that have careers and also raise a family. And, you know, it's just how it is now, unfortunately. You know, and I think I think it's how it should be. I think if you're, it's something that I love doing. It keeps me happy, having that career as well. And if you're if you're a happy mum doing that, well, then you're going to be a happy mother. You know, to your kids and stuff. So I think that's important to have a little bit of the best of both worlds. And you know, obviously with us, we get up so early. You know, we have. Um, you know, in the last few years, we've had different au pairs come over from around the world, and they, you know, so unfortunately, my kids are too young to leave them at home with on their own at 3 30 in the morning with a can of coke and a pack of chips so <laughs> you know um yeah I've got three more years I think of OPS, but it's great because they're from all over the world and you know they teach my kids you know different languages and different cuisines so you know yeah. it's, it's good for them it's a good experience for them to have and that's a good experience for the younger kids at the moment um I just picked up a girl a couple of days ago um Celia from Norway so it's her first time traveling you know, out to Australia. So I'm hoping that, you know, I can give her an experience too in the next sort of six months. Um, I did tell her she may be working every Saturday since it's spring yeah. carnival. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, 
it's fine with that. So yeah, it, it takes you know it takes a lot of people, you know, and you've got to be thankful that you know you've got a lot of good people do and you've got good staff. I think that's the main thing when a business of our sort of size, which we're pretty small considering to some, um, you've just got to have a really good team around you and uh, you know have people that are passionate about the horses as you are and and success and winners because everyone loves to win. I do anyway. They certainly do. Honestly, Nat, knowing you um, over the past few years and the fact that everything you've just said is what you deal with day to day, but then on top of that, you've had your recent health battles as well. You are an absolute inspiration to everyone in the racing industry. Um, And, you know, we're just so happy for you you to have had the time to join us on our podcast to tell us a little bit more about being a trainer um, and good luck for the coming months, especially over the spring carnival. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, Just happy to be here. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Time. Wow, Grace, what a fantastic interview with Natalie. Hopefully that has shed some light for our listeners on what a trainer does and their their role in getting these horses to the races and keeping them fit and sound and successful. Yeah, as you said, such an inspiration. She really is. Like, she is just incredible. And I think for anyone that has just listened, and even myself, like, she inspires me to go out and learn more and do more and, um, you know, try some new things and, and just experiment things because you know, you just never know where you might end up. Just give things a go. That's right. So that's it for this week, our first episode back. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to RSVP to our race day meetup on the 23rd, Bletchingly Stakes Day. And make sure you share a screenshot of you listening to the podcast, to your Instagram stories this week to win a ladies who punt cap. And don't forget to tag us. Next week's episode will be a winter racing special. And of course, we'll be doing the former head of our race day meetup at Caulfield for the Bletchingly Stakes. But it's been a great first episode back, if I do say so myself, Fee. We hope that everybody's loved tuning in, especially to Nat Young. Um, But it's been, it feels very good to be back in our podcast routine, Fee, and really looking forward to what the next couple of weeks are going to bring. Definitely. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And we will be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.